A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens was first published in London in 1843 and recounts the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an elderly miser who was visited by the ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley, and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. After their visits, Scrooge is transformed into a kindler, gentler man. Dickens wrote a Christmas carol during a period when the British were exploring and reevaluating past Christmas traditions, including carols and newer customs such as Christmas trees. He was influenced by the experiences of his own youth and by the Christmas stories of other authors, including Washington Irving. Dickens was inspired following a visit to the Field Lane Ragged School, one of several establishments for London's street children. The treatment of the poor and the ability of a selfish man to redeem himself by transforming into a more sympathetic character are the key themes of the story. Published on December 19th, the first edition sold out by Christmas Eve. By the end of 1844, 13 editions had been released. In 1849, Dickens began public readings of the story, which proved so successful he undertook 127 further performances until 1870, the year of his death. A Christmas Carol has never been out of print and has been translated into several languages. The story has been adapted many times for film, stage, opera, and other media. A Christmas Carol captured the zeitgeist of the mid-Victorian revival of the Christmas holiday. Dickens had acknowledged the influence of the modern Western observance of Christmas and later inspired several aspects of Christmas including family gatherings, seasonal food and drink, dancing, games, and a festive generosity of spirit. The Insights into Things hosts now present to you, for your enjoyment, our abridged and slightly altered version of this holiday classic, A Christmas Carol. Once upon a time, upon a Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busily in his counting house. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! It was the voice of Scrooge's niece. Bah, humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I am sure. I do. Out upon Merry Christmas. If I had my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding, he should. Uncle! My dear niece, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say God bless it. Good afternoon. I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last, so a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. His niece left the room without an angry word, but the clerk, in letting Scrooge's niece out, had let another person in. 
At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, ma'am, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help support the prisons and the workhouses. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, they'd better do it. The hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and went home to bed. Now it is a fact that there was nothing at all peculiar about the knocker on the door of his house, except that it was very large, and yet Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face with a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. As Scrooge looked at this, it was a knocker again. He dismissed the vision with a simple poo-poo and closed the door with a bang. The sound reverberated through the house like thunder. Every room above, every cask in the wine merchant's cellar below, they appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs. Up Scrooge went, not carrying a button, for it's being very dark. Darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Quite satisfied, he closed the door and locked himself in, double-locked himself in, which was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap and sat down before the very low fire to take his gruel. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened upon a bell, a disused bell that hung in the room. It was with great astonishment and with a strange dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. Soon it rang loudly, and so did every other bell in the house. This was succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It came on through the heavy door, and a specter passed into the room before his eyes, and upon its coming in, the dying flame leapt up as though it cried, What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. The ghost sat on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe in me? I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. You may be an undigested bit of beef... A blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. The spirit raised a frightful cry. 
Mercy! Dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me? Why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk among his fellow men, and travel far and wide, and if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me! In life my spirit never roved beyond our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate, and began to quake exceedingly. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. You will be haunted by three spirits. Expect the first tomorrow night, when the bell tolls one. Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more. Scrooge tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or the glimpse of the invisible world, or the conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, he went straight to bed, without undressing, and fell asleep on the instant. When Scrooge awoke, the church clock told a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room. Upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn aside by a strange figure like a child. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. As the words were spoken... They passed through the wall and stood in the busy thoroughfares of a city. It was made plain enough by the dressing on the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? Well, I apprenticed here. They went in at sight of an old woman in a Welsh wig sitting behind such a high desk that if she had been two inches taller, she must have knocked her head against the ceiling. Scrooge cried in great excitement. Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless her heart, it's Fezziwig, alive again. Yoo-hoo there, Ebenezer, Richard. A living and moving picture of Scrooge's former self, a young man came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow Prentice. No more work tonight. It's Christmas Eve, boys. Let's have the shutters up. Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Clear away? There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away, or couldn't have cleared away, with Mrs. Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. The warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book, and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it, 
and tuned like 50 stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast smile. In came three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow and everyhow. Away they all went, twenty couple at once, hands half round and back again the other way. Down the middle and up again, round and round, old top couple always turning in the wrong place. When the clock struck eleven, this ball broke up. Mrs. Fezziwig shaking hands with every person as he or she went out, wishing him or her a Merry Christmas. Small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. She has spent but a few pounds of your money, three or four perhaps. Is that so much that she deserves this praise? It isn't that, spirit. She has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service a pleasure or a toil. Say that her power lies in words and looks, in things impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness she gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. Spirit, remove me from this place, haunt me no longer. As he struggled with the spirit, he was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, and further of being in his own bed. He had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. Scrooge awoke in his bedroom. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. The leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney. Heaped upon the floor, to form a kind of throne, were turkeys, geese, great joints of meat, pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, great bowls of punch, and immense twelfth cakes. Upon this couch there sat a giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch. Come in, come in, and know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You have never seen the like of me before. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told, and held it fast. The room and its contents all vanished instantly, and they stood in the city streets upon a snowy Christmas morning. Scrooge and the ghost passed on invisible, straight to Scrooge's clerks, and on the threshold of the door the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinklings of his torch. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your sister, Tiny Tina? There's There's father father coming, coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. In came Bob, the father, his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tina upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tina, she bore a little crutch and had her limbs supported by an iron frame. And how did Tiny Tina behave? As good as gold and better. Somehow she gets thoughtful sitting by herself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. She told me coming home that she hoped the people saw her in the church because she was a cripple and it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Master Peter 
and the two young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy ready beforehand in a little saucepan, hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tina beside him in a tiny corner of the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everyone, not forgetting themselves, and crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last the dishes were set on, and grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause, as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it into the breast. But when she did, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose all around the board. Ah! Even tiny Tina, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of her knife and feebly cried, Rah! But now the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone to take the pudding up and bring it in. Mrs. Cratchit entered, smiling proudly with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball so hard and firm, blazing in half of half of a quartern of ignited brandy and bedlit with Christmas holly stuck into the top. What a wonderful pudding! At last the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, the fire made up. Then all the Cratchit family drew around the hearth, while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily. They were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded, and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on tiny Tina, until the last. But the whole scene passed off, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. Suddenly, as they stood together in open space, the bell struck. Twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it no more. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Marley, and lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them. But there they were in the heart of it amongst the merchants. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of business owners. Observing the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. I don't know much about it either. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Hmm. Last night, I believe. 
What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me. That's all I know. The scene had changed, and now he almost touched a bare, uncurtained bed. A pale light rising in the outer air fell straight upon his bed, and on it, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this unknown man. Spirit, let me see some tenderness connected with the death, or this dark chamber, spirit, will be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him to poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children seated round the fire. Quiet, very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner, and sat looking up at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in needlework, but surely they were very quiet. The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The color hurts my eyes. They're better now again. It makes them weak by candlelight. And I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home. For the world, it must be near his time. Pass it, rather. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used to these few last evenings, Mother. I have known him walk with tiny Tina upon his shoulders, very fast indeed. But she was very light to carry, and her father loved her so. That is no trouble, no trouble. And there is your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and Bob came in. His tea was ready for him, and they all tried who should help him to it most. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face, as if they said, Don't mind it, Father. Don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table and praised Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. You went today, then, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. But you'll see it often. I promised her that I would walk there on Sunday. My little, little child. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what that man was with the covered face whom we saw lying dead. The ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him to a dismal, wretched, ruinous churchyard. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and, following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? No, spirit. Oh, no, no. Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. Why show me this, if I am past all hope? Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart, and try to keep it all year. Oh, tell me, I may sponge away the writing on the stone. Holding up his hands in one last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. 
best and happiest of all the time before him was his own, to make amends in. He was checked in his transports by the churches ringing out the lustiest pearls he had ever heard. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, no night. Clear, bright, staring golden day. What's today? cried Scrooge, calling down to a boy in Sunday clothes. Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? Why Christmas Day? It's Christmas Day? I haven't missed it. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the Poulterers? In the next street but one, at the corner? I should hope I did. An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey. The big one? What? The one as big as me? What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. It is. Go and buy it. Buy it now? I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here. Then I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. He shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tina. Scrooge dressed himself all in his best and at last got out into the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present and, walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded everyone with a delightful smile. He looked so incessantly pleasant, in a word, that three or four good-humored folks said, Good morning, sir. A Merry Christmas to you. He was early at the office next morning. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. The clock struck nine, no Bob. A quarter past, no Bob. Bob was a full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Bob's hat was off before he opened the door. He was on the stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I am very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are? Yes, I think you are. Step this way, if you please. Now, I tell you what, my friend, I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. Bob trembled. A Merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge as he clapped him on the back. A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I've given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to tiny Tina, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but his own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tina observed, God bless us. Everyone.